0: and welcome to Social Work Spotlight, where I showcase different areas of the profession each episode. I'm your host, Yasmine McKee-Wright, and today's guest is Dana. Dana has been working as a clinical social worker for 13 years in the USA and Australia. She has worked in both community agencies and hospital settings, with experience in children and adolescents, aged care, burns, stroke, and briefly in palliative care. The majority of her social work experience, however, has been in rehabilitation medicine as part of a full multidisciplinary team. Dana currently works in a brain injury rehab unit in Sydney and has a strong interest in adjustment to disability and finding that new normal with clients. She practices holistic interventions and advocates in the best interest of the client. Outside of work, she enjoys spending time with family, going on walks, meeting with friends, and getting stuck in a good historic fiction novel. Dana, thank you so much for joining me. I'm really glad that you could be part of this interview, this podcast, and um, really excited to see you after such a long time. Mm. We used to work together. Going back to your history as a social worker, I'm keen to know a little bit more about how you started in social work and um, what did you study? Did you go straight into social work or did you study something else? Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, Well thanks Yasmeen for asking to interview me. It's great to see you too. Mm -hmm. Um, It's been a long time. (laughs)
0: Um,
1: So I did my bachelor's in psychology and during that time I felt that I wanted to broaden my I guess horizon and after working for about a year with children that suffered from autism, I decided to go back and do my masters in social work and I felt that social work might give me that kind of broader sense of how people are impacted by their environment, by um, the community they live in, um, their culture, you know, their upbringing and how all of that combined influences a person's you know, journey through life and so I went um, and did a master's in social work at Boston College. I'm originally from the States. And um, yeah, so that's, I guess I kind of jumped into it after four years doing a bachelor's and then working part-time and realizing I wanted to explore further um, what my options were and so, yeah.
0: Mm. So it wasn't until you had that experience with the children with autism that you kind of felt you wanted to do something similar but maybe not specializing Mm. in psychology.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to see, I understood at that time that uh, social work, there are a lot of different types of hats or roles social workers can have and I wanted to learn more about that. In addition my uncle, he was actually a social worker in a Mm -hmm. hospital back home where I grew up in Pennsylvania Mm -hmm. and he was a social worker in drug and alcohol and I found that very fascinating And some of the cases. He had and the interventions he used and so I guess that kind of prompted my thinking mm. and I tossed back and forth between psychology and social work knowing that first let's just focus on psychology and see where that brings me
0: and was that something you discussed with him at the time? The no, thought process. No! I,
1: no I didn't I didn't um, I should have at that time but as a young person <laughs> when you're with adults um yeah it wasn't something that i remember him telling me uh information and just cases he might have had and i just it just piqued my curiosity but um and i might have had a few questions back then but uh i felt like i wanted to travel my own path like i was happy mm-hmm. to take an in information but i just thought no nope, this is what i'm doing and that was Great conversation that we had but this is the path I'm taking and sure enough I ended up going into social work.
0: <laughs> mm. And where did you first work after you graduated?
1: Um, after my master's I took a job with a fee-for-service company in Brockton which was outside of Boston and that was working with families so family work, um, working with uh, children as well as families that were having family breakdowns, marriage breakdowns, and also looking at families that were going through custody disputes. So the other part of my job, I was a guardian ad litem. Mm. And so I was meeting with families who were court, I was basically court appointed to sit down with them and get the facts from them and write a report, submit that to the judge so the judge can make a decision um, what's in the best interest of the child or children um, in regards to living with mom living with dad and where are the issues um, how can we best support this family so it was a lot of a lot of writing and so mm-hmm. that I did that for about a year and a half um, and then following that um, I actually moved overseas
0: mm-hmm.
1: and lived in Europe Europe for about uh, for how long was it about ten years
0: mm-hmm. yeah and when you were working in the court, who was your client? Was it both parents? Was it one parent? Um,
1: so it was. It was basically I was interviewing the whole family, mm-hmm. so it wasn't just one specific family. One, sorry, one specific member of the family. Right. Um, so it was something that was required from the courts um, in order to make a decision: what's in the best interest of the child and who they should live with. Um, and it's just it was more fact finding mm-hmm. and assessment writing. And making recommendations to the courts, what would be in the best interest of the child. It was really a heavy job. Yeah, for your
0: first. I shot know, out. I know.
1: Wow. I had a fantastic supervisor at the time, yeah. and she was very supportive and read through all my reports before I submitted them. Thankfully, yeah. uh, so I did that. Yeah, so that job with the fee for service work and the counseling and the guardian ad litem work that was for about. I did that for about a year, maybe a year and a half.
0: Yeah. And I know working with involuntary clients is really difficult because they would have all had to go through that process, whether yeah. they felt they needed support or not.
1: Yeah, most of them were quite agreeable because they knew it was to uh, hopefully have time with their, their kids. Um, I think the hardest part, though, was I only had a chance to meet with them one time. Mm. So if the, if the interview didn't go well or if they felt they didn't give enough information or if They were having a bad day. Um, I mean, whatever was reported was reflected in the reports that I wrote. Yeah, that's tough. It was, yeah, yeah. And sometimes they just, you know, the judge didn't necessarily take my recommendations. He could have just thrown them out the window. But, um, and I'm sure families would have disputed. I never got any calls or anything, so, Mm. but then soon after I went to Europe. (laughs) Did you have
0: any aha moments as a young social worker of this is really what I think I was cut out to do, or this is something I'm really passionate about? Because as your first role, that's a hard one. And Mm. it can be hard to find it, not even a win, just a a moment where you think, no, this is where I'm supposed to be. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I think at
1: that time I knew I wanted to work with people who were disadvantaged and of minority um, advocating for them just finding their voice Mm. and empowering them I think the aha moment was different than maybe what you're looking for the aha moment for me was this is you know working with children family adolescents it's it's challenging you're working with so many different personalities and developmental stages and it made me realize that if this is something I'm going to do I have to really you know, I have to really dig deep to work out if this is really for me. And I think that time working in that setting made me realize, I'm not quite sure, mm-hmm. yeah, if this is the role I want to have. Sure, long term. However, the experience was incredible. yeah, yeah, and challenging. And um, yeah, don't regret any of it. So, and mm. there were some lovely moments, especially working one-on one with some of the children yeah so and that was quite rewarding so again with social work it made me realize that all right I'm not quite sure if that's the population I want to work with what else is you know Mm -hmm. on offer
0: yeah (laughs) Yeah. and that I guess came at a time when you immigrated and had babies yeah. and, and all that stuff, yeah. so you would have been quite busy. I don't think you worked in that time, did you? No,
1: I didn't. I didn't work in social work. I did teach English as a second language mm-hmm. uh, to young children in primary schools oh, part-time, lovely. so that was lovely. Yeah. Um, but then I didn't uh, go back into the social work field until I moved to Australia.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And culturally, I guess you would have brought something new to an Australian context, having had experience in all different places, mm. I think. That would have been a really interesting perspective for everyone to have.
1: Yeah, no, it was. And considering I didn't work for a certain block of time and then coming to a different country and also working in the health system, um, which I had a little bit of experience in the States working in a... um, I worked with adolescents in a psychiatric um, inpatient unit, not as a social worker but as a support person. Um, So the healthcare system... It's a lot different here, so it was a huge learning curve. Mm-hmm. Uh, but having said that, you know, it's, I think every job you take has its, has its challenges and has its learning curves. So, um,
0: yeah. Hmm. Well, good segue. Can you tell me about what you're working at at the moment? What is your current role? What's a normal day like for you? Uh, so, currently, I'm working in a brain injury
1: unit, it's, um, it's a rehab in mm-hmm. Sydney. And I work as a social worker and case manager. And that role is multifaceted, so there's lots of parts to the role. A good bulk of it is a lot of case management, mm. um, paperwork forms, dealing with different organizations, NDIS, um, which is the National Disability Insurance Scheme, and that's for people who, if, meet, if they meet the criteria, can benefit from supports um, to live independently. Um, there's you know, also eye care. Uh, so a lot of the clients we have who've suffered a brain injury due to motor vehicle accident, that can be covered under eye care if they're eligible. So mm-hmm. it's navigating those systems, and it's it's a big learning curve. Here we go again on big learning curve yeah. again, um, because it's something that I haven't. I've done bits and pieces of, but I haven't um, had the full. I guess, gamut yeah. <laughs> of uh, working with Eye Care and DIS to this extent with clients in rehab. So, and when you're when you're working with clients in rehab, you're there from the time they're admitted to the time they go home. So, you want to ensure that when they go home, it's a safe discharge. Mm-hmm. Um, so, just yeah, getting back to a typical day, what it looks like. Uh, a lot of meetings. We have case conferences. We review cases, different clients and we look at their discharge plan, we look at their psychosocial uh, part, we look at their function, communication. So we work within a multidisciplinary team and it's quite comprehensive. You have a speech pathologist, you have an occupational therapist who assists with function and um, doing you know, everyday activities, um, toileting, showering, just daily care. We have a physio that works with people's mobility transfers. Um, you have your psychologist on the team, your neuropsychologist who looks at capacity and cognitive impairments. Mm. We have a recreational therapist who looks at clients who have an interest in, you know, recreational activities, which could be dance, it could be fishing, it could be, you know, bowling. So she mm. focuses on their interests.
0: I and mean, you've got the regular like dietitians and nurses. Dietitians. And
1: doctors. doctors. Absolutely. Nursing, all of that. So we work together as a team and when we have these case conferences we go through each client and we discuss where they're at, you know, how they've been progressing. And with each client we're always focusing on their discharge. It's not to say they're discharging the next day mm-hmm. but the idea is that they have it that they have some sort of a discharge plan location potentially how long are they going to be in hospital Mm. um what are the challenges you know how can we best support them so yeah so that's so yeah so meetings case management duties obviously there's the social work aspect of it and the psychosocial emotional support you provide not just to the clients but also the families Mm -hmm. so uh, a lot of these families are you know they've been through horrific um, moments of you know learning that their loved one or their friend went through an accident and some of them maybe almost losing their lives to now on a rehab ward and making progress and it's a real journey for the family and it's that unknown that uncertainty you know what's going to happen and and you know they may not return to their previous life and mm-hmm. what that was before they may not be able to work in the field they were working they may not be able to drive they may not be able to walk mm. and so it's the unknown and it's you know finding what the new normal is going to look like right so that's the social work part that I really love
0: and how do you calculate how long someone might be in the hospital um, well, that's
1: a good question <laughs> so we just we look at the progress that they're making and um, and if, if they if have goals um, and they're attaining these goals, um, we you know continue the rehab process. Um, some of the weight, I think a majority of the weight is a lot of the clients, they're reaching their goals, they may have long-term goals that they could do in the community. And having said that, they might be ready for discharge from a clinical perspective and medical perspective but a lot of times these clients are held back and aren't able to discharge when we'd like to discharge them due to funding for services support Mm -hmm. cares ndis um can take a long time to put together a plan for them and to get the funding and having planning meetings and reviews and yeah so it can take a really long time
0: and if that's the social worker's role to pull all that together and have a good understanding of those resources it can come back to you yeah how how do you struggle and how do you manage with that when there's so much pressure on you
1: i think for me as long as i know i'm making some progress on each of my clients and i can report to the team during case conferences or discharge planning meetings. I feel as long as I feel there's progress being made, Mm. I'm doing everything. Yeah, I'm doing everything I can. And it's just, I think the most important thing is transparency to the team, communication. This is where I'm at. If I feel that I'm, I'm struggling a bit, or I feel that I need a bit of, you know, support, I'll, you know, I'll speak to my social work colleagues. I'll speak to my supervisor, you know, how could I do this better? How could I improve this? Mm. And um, everyone is fantastic in, in the rehab and very supportive. And I think everyone's under the same pressure. Yeah. And the doctors get it. You know, they get it. Um, of course, you know, everyone has a certain goal. Like, it's cl- obviously, it's all client-centered. And we are certain goals that we're trying to attain with our clients. And some are, you know, everyone has their yeah, goal that they're shooting for. And everyone has their own challenges, and just bringing that all—it's almost like a symphony—just bringing that all together till the crescendo, mm-hmm. and what that's going to look like—that's uh, yeah. it's a challenge, but we all try to work together.
0: And what what do you necessarily mean by person-centered in this context? So, person-centered is um, so each client that
1: comes in, we assess them to see where they're at and the potential that they they have um, to return back into the community. And we assess that by reports that we received, but as well as sitting down with the client and finding out if, I mean, if they're, if you're able to have that discussion with them, find out what do they want to get out of their rehab? What are their rehab goals? Do they, you know, a lot of times some of these clients who are of working age, our, our population is quite young. They want to return to work. Mm -hmm. So a goal could be returning to work, um, and looking at those goals. One of the goals for one of our clients recently was she wanted just to resume her normal everyday activities and be a mum mm-hmm. and to be able to look after her daughter. So, you know, it's focusing on what their aim is and what's going to help them feel normal again.
0: Yeah and it sounds as though you need to know quite a lot about the services not only to explain it to the patient and to the families but to your own team Mm. so that they understand where the roadblocks might be and the challenges that you're facing Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: no we definitely have to be transparent and let the team know you know what's what's keeping a discharge from going ahead and uh, a lot of times it's a waiting game to Mm. for services to come through and um, and you know, there's a, it's a big process also. Just writing the report and um, gathering all that information from the team. So you have to get the input from the OT, from the physio, and and, and the neuropsychologist, and getting reports. And it's it's full on. So it's like I said, it's multifaceted.
0: Yeah, but mm. you're needing to know what to gather in the first place. Well, so that's, that's just it. Part of yeah. It, the challenge.
1: And this current job, I'm I'm relatively new, so. I'll, luckily with social work our skills are quite transfer uh, transferable mm. uh, and that's the beauty of the field but having said that when you go into a more specialized area which has was my long-term goals to be in a more specialized social work role um, certain areas have their structure and their processes and you're working more closely with those services that are going to provide clients that independence that they're striving for
0: Hmm. and do you find working with those other disciplines is any different in the rehab unit than it was in your other roles right yeah so mm, so my last role i was in an acute setting
1: in a sydney hospital and also did rehab but it was more of a short-term rehab program and the difference between acute and rehab i guess acute -acute, subacute is with acute there's a faster turnover so not only are you seeing your clients patients as we say in the acute setting you see them maybe not you don't have them as a patient as long Um, same goes with the team Uh, you're not you're working with your team closely but the turnover of patients is so quick um, that if you have a client that you're working for a long time with you really get to understand their style so And I think the communication in rehab compared to acute, um, you work more closely with the different team members Mm -hmm. as well um, because there's so many parts that you have to put together because the disability that a lot of these clients are facing is so complex. You have to work closely with the team, whereas in acute, it's not necessarily the case. They may be in just for respiratory Mm-hmm. issue or they may be and not just but you know it may not be as complex as a brain injury so you may not you may only work with the physio or you may only work with the ot briefly but when you're in a rehab setting it's a full multidisciplinary team approach it's a holistic approach and every part of the team is important and if one of the you know wheels comes off <laughs> it, mm. it's de- it could be detrimental to the client we're Everything all important comes to a halt.
0: yeah Mm. Yeah, I remember in the acute setting in sort of the hospital setting where everything's really new the person is still really medically unwell there are a lot of times when you just can't find the patient. You can't find the client because they're <laughs> off at some test or they're yeah. off doing other things where it sounds as though you have a lot more time to spend with them and develop mm. those relationships mm. in the subacute or in the... It's mm. still an inpatient unit, mm. but it's separated from a main hospital.
1: Yeah, I, that's one re- thing I love about rehab is you really get to know your clients.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: get to know their families. Um you get to know, you know, their little quirks. Now, know, um, with one client, you know, who is up early morning, and you know, when you walk in that morning, he's going to be in the dining area having his breakfast, and you, mm. you know, what he's going to be eating because you, you mm. know, his likes and dislikes, and you know, and these patients or clients. I'm sorry, I, sometimes I say patients, sometimes I say clients. Yeah, because in the acute we said patients, and yeah, and, and subacute we've been saying clients. Um, look, they're there a long time, and. It's kind of a second home even Mm -hmm. for the family so you walk into some of their rooms some of these clients have been there for three four five months some even a year wow so their room is their their room their (laughs) yeah and it's you know family bring photos in and signs and they bring their own you know linens in and blankets and pillows and music and you name Mm -hmm. it it doesn't look like a hospital room yeah
0: so that's their home for now they're so unsettled Especially if they, like, they might not live in Sydney. They might be Absolutely. from somewhere else. And so even the family members having to come and visit all the time.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. How do you support
0: them if they're out of town?
1: Yeah, so some of the clients luckily are supported by Eye Care, And I uh, one particular client who's under lifetime care and support. And the family live um, up north and they provide funding for an apartment for mm-hmm. the family to stay in when they come down to That's visit great. and it's fantastic because it's so important again it's client-centered um, having family there to support clients in the situation is so important for their recovery mm-hmm. it's, it's monument so um, we encourage that and when you can see a difference in some of the clients mood when family is there and also when they know family's leaving and they become really low so Mm -hmm. it's anticipating that as well so it's never a dull day
0: no and what what would be the difference between you said there's a a clear segregation or expectation with your time of social work versus case manager how do you see the two roles as being different
1: Mm, right so with the case management role I'd say it's it's basically managing that client's case and everything that revolves around their journey and their discharge plan. So it's um, setting up family meetings and when it would be appropriate to have a family meeting. Normally we'll have family meetings a few weeks after admission um, just to give the family and the client an opportunity to see the progress the client has made and the goals we have in terms of discharge planning and what that's going to look like mm-hmm. it's a lot of the paperwork that needs to be done so within the rehab I'm in now there's lots of processes and structures in place so it's putting together uh, goals action plans getting ready for case conferences um, there's discharge planning there's you know report writing and also expectations from um, eye care NDIS um, even Centerlink Medicare, um, New Start. So these are all entitlements that people could be eligible for and it's navigating that system. So there's a lot of emailing, there's a lot of explaining to clients what you're doing and why. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And during those times I try to take that opportunity to use my social work skills to support them through it. And I think that's where you can try to maintain somewhat of a balance, but it's hard, it's difficult because yeah. some of the paperwork overtakes the social work role.
0: So that's that's a big challenge. Yeah, well, there's that meme that something like social workers are changing the world one progress note at a time. Oh, gosh, tell so. me about it, yeah. <laughs> but I guess we can't really communicate what we're doing as effectively if we can't demonstrate it. Mm-hmm. So we have to, for whatever funding bodies or even... Right some of the information might not stick if, let's say, you have to provide information to a family member and they're just completely overwhelmed and they're not going to absorb it. Having it in writing is sometimes really helpful. So being able to clearly communicate, which it sounds as though you developed as a very young social worker, Mm -hmm. that ability to concisely get information down is Mm -hmm. invaluable. Mm -hmm. And I think one important thing
1: I know for me is just don't pop in I mean, I guess you can pop in and have a chat, but it's good to have a purpose. Mm. And so whenever I have some paperwork I need to show a client, I kind of make a list of what I need to go through with them. But also I ask myself and reflect, what is my purpose? Where are they at? You know, check in with them. How are they traveling? They've been in rehab now two weeks. What's that been like for them? Mm. And it gives you an opportunity to, it's kind of that case management stuff as a segue into checking in with them and really providing that support and intervention and how they're managing and navigating being in rehab and being away from family and far from home and Mm -hmm. just letting them know, you know, and validating their, you know, what their struggles might be.
0: Yeah, which comes back to that person-centered approach. Absolutely, yeah, 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 it's important. Do you do case management for community or just for the inpatient? Just inpatient at the moment. Okay, so who then takes over from you?
1: So then we have a community team that we then hand over to, and so that's another process and putting a referral. So we're responsible to do the referral for the team Mm -hmm. as a case manager. So it's finding out from every team member what they're recommending for that patient in the community, if, if there's a referral from that discipline, so it may be that someone doesn't have any issues with their mobility and they're managing fine with that, so they may not need a physio referral. So, but it may be that they require equipment, and so what does the OT recommend? So I need to put that all together. We send that referral to the community a few weeks before discharge, mm-hmm. and um, go to the discharge planning meeting. So that's within our own community team. Okay. Yeah.
0: And do you ever get to follow up people that have been discharged?
1: I have. Again, I'm I'm relatively new in the role, and I've had a few follow ups and a few photos sent to me and oh,
0: that's so lovely. updates
1: how well this particular client is doing and how excited it is that she's finally home and
0: which really demonstrates the impact that you had as yes. an
1: inpatient. Yeah, and it's it's funny because you and this is where boundaries come in because you you kind of you get these emails and how she's doing and you're curious. You think. I wonder how this went. I wonder how that went. Mm. And you know that you've handed over to that community social worker case manager and it's in their hands now. And Mm. um, it's important to be aware of those professional boundaries. I think personally, I'm very curious, but professionally um, you trust that the handover was successful. And if there's any issues, obviously that community social worker case manager can come back to me and speak to me. But um, yeah, but I think it's also a bit cathartic for the client to be able to check back with their previous therapist and say, look at me, look yeah. what I'm doing. And I'm, you know, I'm succeeding. And of course, responding with another email and saying, yeah, well done. And, you know, yeah. thanks for sharing and just giving that confirmation validation. So, um, but yeah, they're, it's so nice to get updates.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it means to them that they're connecting with something that they're comfortable with and familiar with.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It gives, I guess it gives us as therapists validation too if they're reconnecting with us mm. and letting us know how they're doing.
0: Oh, mm. that's so lovely. Um, do you ever have any issues with family members or what you might see as conflicting priorities? I believe when someone
1: has, sustains such a severe disability, whether it's brain injury, spinal, or, or just a multi-trauma injury, um, First, initially, there's this shock, and everyone wants to be there and support, and that's fantastic. But there is a burden, and I think if someone is in hospital for a very long time, months, if not over a year or even longer, I think there's a real strain on the family, and I think that's when some differences may arise and conflict. And so there's a bit of conflict management Mm. sometimes within the role of social work. Yeah. And just managing those like you said different opinions and it's almost being a mediator mm-hmm. and mediating that and encouraging communication so um, I'm actually in a situation like that right now with the family right. so two completely different views and our intervention is to sit down with the family and just put everything on the table and mm-hmm. to find out how can we best support the communication what and to remember it's client centered yeah so, come back
0: to that goal and come back being to transparent. that
1: yeah and what especially if you've had goal planning or sorry goal setting with the client you know they make a list of goals this is what they want to do and referring back to that mm. so some families want to have their own agenda and it's hard It's really hard yeah because you can only you can't tell them what to do, you can guide them and support them, um, and encourage them, um, but at the end of the day, they, they have to sort it out Mm -hmm. within the family, but just trying to provide that support as a social worker, as a team, the best we can, that's, that's probably, yeah, the best support they can get at that time. Mm
0: -hmm. And do you think any of that changes based on the mechanism of the accident, so how the person came about their injury? Mm. In terms of how the family might approach it?
1: Yeah, I I think in terms of I would I would say in terms of cognition, so if the actual client doesn't have capacity to make decisions or insightful decisions and the family mem- a family member has made the guardian um, to make some, whether it's medical decisions, you know, health decision services, you know, care, accommodation, it it may be challenging for the other family member. Um, so I think it might depend on the severity yeah, mm-hmm. of the injury and how much capacity the client has to make decisions for themselves. Okay, I'm not sure if I answered your question. Yeah, no, I think you
0: have. <laughs> I, I think well, it it I'm thinking back on it it's probably a twofold question so one would be the impact of the injury on the person's ability and who they are now if if they have different personality or Mm. different capacity as you suggested but also um, a lot of the people that you would support would be potentially risk takers in their life pre-accident and if they've had say a road accident is there an element of of blame and of Mm -hmm. having difficulty with Acceptance following the accident.
1: Mm. I think they very well can be, um, especially people who have this, they would be experiencing grief and loss of, of their previous life, but also they could very well just be stuck in the blaming, you know, whose fault was it? And not if they're stuck in that state of blame, and unable to accept, they have trouble moving forward. So, it's also assisting the family and the client with that and where they're at, and asking them why is it that this is why is this such a challenge for you? And um, you know, asking them does just putting the blame on someone does it really help you in this situation? And how can you, you know, how can we explore it further to help them? accept it sometimes it just takes time mm-hmm. and just supporting through that that you can't talk a person out of um, where they're at it's part of the grieving process and yeah. it might take someone a long time um, others they may get stuck are mm. um, frozen um, and it's that ambiguous I guess loss that ambiguous grief yeah yeah not knowing where to go how to move on how when to move on because they're still stuck in that Mm
0: -hmm.
1: non-acceptance phase I guess you could call it
0: yeah yeah and are you the only social worker case manager in the team
1: no no there's there's three of us okay so which is fantastic so it's good to be able to bounce ideas and thoughts off of each other so it's good to have it's good to work not just within a multidisciplinary team but within your own discipline yeah so within within our team in brain injury um a lot of the disciplines have more than one so they're able to kind of support each other okay
0: as a core team yeah Yeah. it seems like a good way of going about it Mm. Mm. so what do you think it is about your profession or your skills or experience that make you a better case manager when compared to say an occupational therapist or a physiotherapist who is one of the case managers
1: I think it's so important to have good organizational skills and the ability to prioritize and communicate what your needs are in order to support that patient Um, and really seeing the big picture. Mm -hmm. So I guess in terms of experience as a social worker, we come from, I guess, a practice, a model of you're looking at the whole person holistically and that's big picture stuff, Mm -hmm. so I guess applying that to case management would be the same because you're looking at, you know, where are they discharging to, when are they discharging to, what about their home environment, and obviously that's OT, but we have to think about that as a case manager as well because they may need certain supports in there um, that doesn't fall under OT but may fall under the case management role, so you know, returning to work, what does that look like Mm -hmm. in terms of getting them work ready? Um, How are they getting to places? You know, what type of support do they need there? Um, Medical appointments, things like that. So I guess it's the big picture stuff that you need to understand, I guess, to be a case manager Mm -hmm. and understanding that patient. And again, coming back to the client-centered approach and what their needs are and what their
0: wishes are and
1: Short-term, mid-term, long-term.
0: And how do you get your referrals? Um, I'm curious as to whether you are allocated a new client based on the fact that you're a social worker case manager or whether it happens just because you have capacity.
1: It happens just because you have capacity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we, the unit I work in has 16 beds. Mm-hmm. And so I work... Um, four days a week I carry five clients mm. and the full-timers full-timer carries um, six and then the other part-timers also five so if one of my clients is discharged first I take the next one that comes in mm-hmm. um, I guess there are exceptions but so far that's how it's been working yeah
0: yeah mm. how do you use supervision how do you see that as mm. integral to your practice hmm
1: Yeah. Well, before this job, I used, um, supervision, um, at that time, um, how I could get the most out of the the role I was in and also looking at projects and things like that. Mm. Um, I find with the this new job, the supervision is a lot around, um, the clients and I go through most of my, not all of them, but three to four clients that, I may have lots of questions about, or just again, looking at them with a holistic, I guess, view Mm -hmm. and them going home and how to best understand them. And if there's any complex matters that I'm struggling with, I will bring that to supervision. So in regards to the supervision I have now within the brain injury unit, some of the issues are around case management, but a lot of it is also brain injury Mm. and what that, what how to best support someone as a, the client within the unit and the the stress they may be having and some of them may be having a lot of stress around loss of memory and understanding and they may have difficulties communicating and they may communicate using instead of saying i want to drink water they may say i want to drink a flower you know mm-hmm. so it's this communication Um, impairments that they have Mm -hmm. so and the stress around that and supporting them so a lot of the supervision yes is about my cases but also how to best support someone who's sustained a brain injury Mm -hmm. as well as the family and looking at the grief and loss and the change the adjustment the acceptance um and having a bit of I guess professional education within my supervision and um you know my supervisor is great in that respect because she has so much experience and is able to point me in the right direction with resources and things like that. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. What would be a normal trajectory for you career-wise having worked in rehab? So what do people normally in that field then progress to? Oh, that's a good question. Um,
1: Perhaps they would move on to another specialty, another type of rehab role, Um, perhaps research, um, research, study um, lecturing could be program management yeah I think there's I think there could could be lots of opportunities I it just depends on the individual I think with some social workers are quite happy within the clinical mm. role case management role and um, quite content um, and others may want to strive for the next level which could be management level could be as a professional leader could be you know someone who um, manages, you know, quite a large, you know, group of social workers. It could be someone who manages allied health mm-hmm. um, therapists as well. Yeah. So, you
0: mentioned you were interested in specializing. What sort of thing are you interested in?
1: Uh, right now, brain injury. Yeah. Yeah. So well, since I've been the yeah, three months in the role, just trying to, to educate myself as much as possible how brain injury affects a person example what's pta which is Mm. you know post-traumatic amnesia um how is that screened and how long do they test it for and what does it mean if there are so many days in pta and does that what kind of outlook do they have and and so just understanding, i guess the mechanics and the the medical part of brain injury Mm -hmm. but also looking at down the road um how does that affect them within their community within their normal you know Living environment and their activities of daily living. How does that affect them? And you know, how can we best support them returning home to this home that they know, but in different capacity?
0: Yeah.
1: You know, and preparing for that, anticipating that. And I've seen recently a client who's had a number of panic attacks, um, Mm. just very nervous about returning home. Yeah. Been in hospitals for such a long time and. Managing that and helping clients with coping and looking at strategies to deal with that anxiety. Mm-hmm. And identifying
0: the reasons for it or the triggers. The triggers,
1: absolutely. You know, and, you know, is it, is it the, ang- this particular client reports pain when he's having this anxiety? And is the anxiety causing the pain? Is there mm-hmm. pain that's causing anxiety? You know, what's the trigger?
0: And so I'm, I'm working that out you mentioned your part-time where you mm-hmm. are how do you how do you manage your time because it must be difficult not being there all the time mm. do people find that difficult to understand that you're not full-time mm. no it's
1: um so i work four days a week so i have one day off um no i'm i'm like again i'm i'm transparent about every. it's always the same day off okay. um the team knows You know, in emails, they get an automatic response. I let clients know. So, for example, I was working with a client the other day and we were working on her New Start application um, and I needed to contact her sister. And and I said, I'm going to send her an email. But just to remind you, I won't be back until, Mm. you know, in two days and if she has any questions she'll just have to wait until then she's like oh that's right that's right that's your day off so mm-hmm. um so a lot of the clients that have been there a long time they know my day what my day off is yeah so it's hard though I must admit because y- y- you miss a whole day so it's yeah. a lot of catching up emails and mm-hmm. metal, you know the progress notes and where all your clients are at and something you might you know your client that you have might have had a crisis on the day you've had off and yeah. just picking up the pieces and finding out what that's all about but look I've been part-time for a long time so I've been able to manage that it's harder to be part-time than full-time okay yeah because because of that inconsistency um no, inconsistency right word but you're there one day not there the next day and it's the risk of missing out or the day I chose to have off, though, there aren't a lot of meetings, which is a good thing. But occasionally mm-hmm. a meeting does come up, and sometimes I'll swap Okay, yeah, to, so I can attend a certain meeting or event. But for the most part, I honor my day off, and the team has learned to respect that. And I'm mm-hmm. not the only part-timer yeah. within the multidisciplinary
0: team. So it's actually quite flexible, and they're, yeah, they're open to it. Great. How do you juggle family life? and mm. outside life in amongst all that
1: yeah I think you have to be purposeful uh, in terms of self-care mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day it's important to leave on time um I'm not the best <laughs> follower of that I mean it's important to leave on time I can't say I commit to that 100 mm-hmm. percent um sometimes I feel that it's good to get certain work done then and there because you're in that moment mm. um However, having said that, if I do work late, I tend to come in a little bit later than the next day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so our manager is really flexible with that, and I'll communicate to my team. You know, I'm coming a little bit late today. Um, so it's a bit of give and take. Yeah, yeah. It's balance. Absolutely, and yeah. So I like to balance that with you know home life, spending time with family, doing activities, um, and just really leaving work at work. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's a skill experience has taught me that it's important to leave work at work um if you're at home worrying about something there's nothing you can can do yeah especially if it's a weekend it's best to leave work at work and I think for me it took a number of years to develop that skill Mm -hmm. Mm.
0: and I know that you've only been in your current role for a few months but you've worked in rehab before Mm -hmm. that so I'm curious to know what you think have been changes or developments in the field, mm. in that time, within rehab,
1: within rehab, I think within rehab there seems to be a growing trend of different types of rehab mm-hmm. happening. So it's not just subacute rehab anymore. There's day hospitals, there's outreach, there's community, there's inreach. Mm. So I think there's a- different aspects of rehab, and that's what I've seen change over the well the last decade. That I've been working in Australia and most of the work has been in rehab are these different kind of sub subacute, <laughs> mm. I guess programs and it's supporting patients to focus on what their goals are and not to just get them home but to get them home so they're supported enough to be able to do the things they do every day and um, giving them resources and support, so going from acute, subacute, and then into the community where they're still being supported by a community team, that's all rehab. Mm. So and following them through, if they would just go from acute and then home, the recidivism rate could easily increase because they're not being supported in the community. So Mm -hmm. just having that ongoing support and then slowly, I guess, weaning them off is a really... Great approach.
0: Yeah, yeah. Have you noticed a difference in resources between the private sector and public?
1: I think for the current clients, because of their injuries are so complex, they have more access to supports mm. um, because they meet criteria to get those supports. Like you said earlier in the acute setting, a lot of the times they're very medically unwell and they may not be in a position to speak about what the resources are. For example. I know within the acute setting, if someone has has had a traumatic injury and they've been in the acute for a week or two, there's always the hope that they're going to recover mm. to the way they were before, to say to them if they have a spinal injury or if they have a brain injury and they have capacity to understand, to tell them, oh, we have this National Disability Insurance Scheme. Hmm. that's confronting disability. What do you mean disability? I was just you know, skiing the yeah. other month,
0: you know, they're not ready to hear. They're it. not
1: ready to hear it. So it's that whole timing, you know when when are they, as a social worker, assessing when we think they're ready to to hear that information or to let them know that this support is here. And I think one approach is maybe kind of generalizing. We have supports for people who are in a situation that if they're soon discharging home and they may need a little bit of help with shopping or getting places, we have some services we can put into place. Mm -hmm. Um, But without going into the whole elaboration of this is NDIS and it requires XYZ and so it's kind of slowly easing them into the system otherwise I find because of the anxiety they're already experiencing from the trauma as well as the unknown after discharge Mm -hmm. um it can be it could be really upsetting yeah so um depending on the complexity of the injury there might be more resources available to them Mm. Mm. and
0: the timing since Mm -hmm. injury yeah because with brain injuries if Mm -hmm. you haven't been in pta for long enough you can't possibly suggest to someone that they're eligible so you don't have all of the information that you need at that real crisis stage you don't but you've kept it vague enough that they know that you're here as a social worker to provide support Mm -hmm. they don't need to know necessarily what the support is they just feel reassured that there is something there and by the time you get around to your ninth or your 50th conversation Mm -hmm. perhaps then they're they're ready and they've got questions that they come to you right or just i've always been a keen
1: to give clients resources as well that they can read that they can take away because there's so much information coming in while they're in hospital you know they're they're dealing with pain, they're dealing with confusion, they're dealing with you know anxiety, and just where am I? What does this all mean for me? Mm. Telling them, in, giving them information, how much are they going to really retain? Yeah. So by putting it in a brochure or writing it down and just say, just have a look at this when you're ready. You know that's kind of the approach I use. Yeah. When I worked in an acute setting. Yeah. Sometimes I just put a bunch of little pamphlets in an envelope. Hmm. Um, and close it up, and just when you're ready, have a look at it.
0: Yeah, yeah. So. mini social work care package. You could say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have you noticed or heard about any developments that we might see in the future that will help this particular cohort? Just
1: facilitated communication in regard using technology has just a, just been a huge push. Mm. Um, just different ways to use technology. Um, so that's definitely changing. Mm -hmm. And you see it in in rehab and some of the type of devices that they're using. And whether it's timetabling and helping people manage a schedule or um, personal care alarms. So clients who might be returning home but might need a bit of support during the night. They may not have a care overnight. How are they going to respond to an emergency? They may have a, a watch where if there's an emergency they, they tap it and they mm. can talk to someone on the watch. So there's lots of advances and that is definitely something that's changed since I've been working in rehab. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. So And do you use electronic records? Or are you We do, we use electronic records. Ah. Yes we
1: do. And I never got
0: to that. That that would have been interesting. How you left yeah. you manage your file noting and how you communicate with everyone around you
1: yeah yeah so where I work there's different ways of communicating it's not necessarily just medical notes it could be a group email it's seeing people in the corridor Mm -hmm. and passing on information Um, we also use iPads so on my iPad or my my all my lists my to-do lists for each client uh, my calendars on there Um, I can access email, so and that's great because you can carry that everywhere with you, and it just cuts mm. down on paper. Yeah, paper trails.
0: Absolutely, yeah. eco-social work. Eco-social work. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any any form of social work that just has never been of interest to you?
1: I've never really been interested in the, mm-hmm. um, I guess, the juvenile system, um, incarceration, working mm-hmm. with prisoners. It's never been an interest of mine it's there's a fascination there i'm Mm -hmm. curious but i don't think i'm cut out for that kind of work um i did find working with um, children and adolescents challenging on on one level um but having said that in terms of your social work values and morals and your consciousness of vulnerable young people you want to ensure their safety Mm -hmm. and i think that's the part of child adolescent that the main reason i went into it is to ensure that they're safe in terms of areas Mm. yeah there's definitely areas of social work out there that suit some people and may not suit others i have a previous colleague she worked in the juvenile system and loved it Mm. and came to acute and um still works in child and adolescent, but it's just her thing, whereas she could never imagine working in aged care. Yep. So whereas I really enjoy aged care. Yeah. And I enjoy working with older people and hearing their stories and learning from them and just all the wisdom that they have and experiences and it's golden.
0: Yeah. Mm. You mentioned projects. Is there anything particular you're working on at the moment? So there is
1: there is a resilience program that is put on by the brain injury unit and so i've been to the facilitator training for that Mm. so at some point hopefully in the near future i'll be observing and taking part in facilitating it's for family members um, to help them looking at their own strengths and building from the strengths that they have and building on resilience and also allowing those families to meet other people who are in similar situations so that shared experience Mm -hmm. and facilitating that so that's it's it's not my project it's already established but it's taking part in leading those groups yeah so I'm looking forward to that
0: taking you back to your experience with groups
1: yes yeah yeah so I really I really enjoy that that group work and looking at it's the shared experience it's facilitating that and allowing people to give them a space and some time to share where they're at and they could be at a different part in the journey compared to someone else and that might be helpful for someone who's new to brain injury or spinal Mm -hmm. injury or whatever the disability might be and watching groups connect and build this cohesiveness Mm -hmm. you know week after week so it's a real pleasure and honor to be within groups like that Mm. and looking at how they fit together and there's obviously challenges within groups as well but facilitating that is um very rewarding
0: so if people are interested in reading or finding out a little bit more about this area of social work or any other resources where where might you point them
1: a helpful resource for people who are curious about social work the field of social work what the opportunities are for them I would recommend just looking at the local I guess chapter or local yeah right. Australian organization so ASW so um, the Australian Association for Social Workers as well as NASW which is in the US as a National Association for Social Workers there's lots of great resources there what social workers are doing what projects research they're doing case studies um, as well as how the social work field is changing, um, looking at different themes or trends in, you know, aged care, in child protection, um, within rehab as well, different disabilities, adjustment, coping. I think if listeners would access that website, ASW or NASW, that would be
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, one one resource they could look at. There's also a great podcast called Socks and I think it's put on by Griffith University in Queensland. Hmm. That's in Queensland. And so there's lots of really good talks about different areas of social work, and that could give people some insight into the different roles social workers have within Government or private NGOs working in GP offices. Mm. So as well as just contacting local universities that provide education degrees in social work. So that's that's what I would recommend
0: mm-hmm. looking looking at and anything particular to rehab.
1: the agency of clinical innovation, there's a section, current research that they're doing in regards to rehab. It's quite, I think it's it's more general. Um, and
0: that's interdisciplinary isn't it yeah
1: i guess just also googling journal articles we have journal articles as Mm -hmm. well it's certainly a field that is never dull there's never a dull day Mm. in the world of social work and i think it's the type of profession that has so many opportunities to experience and your skills can be so transferable between different areas that um there's many many different roles one can take within the field so Mm. yeah i'd encourage anyone to look further
0: yeah Yeah. i think it's going to be so helpful for people to see the diversity Mm -hmm. within social work but also within a particular field like Mm -hmm. rehab and Mm -hmm. the the skills and the support that you bring to that and make it uniquely yours Mm -hmm. it's really interesting Mm -hmm. so thank you so much for sharing i really 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 appreciate no worries you taking the time it's been wonderful chatting and um, yeah, and I'll leave links and other information in the show notes so that people can do more reading if they're interested and ask me questions. Sounds great. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Yasmin. If you would like to continue this discussion or ask anything of either myself or Dana, please visit my anchor page at anchor.fm/socialworkspotlight. You can find me on Facebook at Social Work Spotlight Podcast, Instagram at Social Work Spotlight underscore podcast, Twitter at swspotlightpod, or you can email swspotlightpodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Please also let me know if there is a particular topic you'd like discussed, or if you or another person you know would like to be featured on the show. And finally, a quick thank you to anchor.fm for hosting this podcast. Next week's guest is Paul who works in a busy inner city hospital and we discuss his clinical work, varied experiences over his career and how he has come full circle to support social workers and provide placement opportunities and education to students. I release a new episode every two weeks. Please subscribe to my podcast so you are notified whenever this next episode is available. See you next time.